Um, anyway, this is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you that there is truth in your word to us, and there is your truth about the world and about us and who we are. And Lord, we also hear truth about ourselves that we can relate to. And so, Lord, would you speak to us now, guide us, refresh and restore our souls as we turn to you. Amen. Amen. So, if you weren't with us last Sunday... Um, we've begun a new teaching series for the term called Soul Keeping, based loosely on uh, this book of the same name by John Ortberg. Um, you might be able to get hold of these if you're interested. Uh, you'll probably get a lot more out of the series, actually, if you, if you have a look at the book as well. And uh, the premise of the book is illustrated in a story which we heard last week. In fact, um, Sharon Miller rendered it in the evening service at, at the 6th brilliantly, beautifully. She just, if you want to hear a story told properly, listen to Sharon Miller tell the story. And the story is called The Keeper of the Stream. Um, and the story compares essentially your soul, by which we mean the very core of our being, the operating system we talked about, um, if you like, uh, which integrates uh, body, mind, will, all the different parts, the different aspects of who we are, with a mountain stream which sustains a village. In the story, the village was sustained. It owed its life to the health of the stream. And the point which I'll elaborate a little bit on today is that just as the stream, the mountain stream, needed the, a, a keeper 
to keep it flowing and healthy, your soul needs a keeper to keep the operating system of your life healthy. And just a few reminders of, of how we unpacked this last week. First, in the words of the, the late, great Dallas Willard, uh, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. Because that's what you will take into eternity. The soul is internal, so it's important. Second, we talk about um, lost soul. Uh, being a lost soul is not so much about a destination, but a condition. So this is what it means to lose your soul. It's not a cosmic threat. It's a clinical diagnosis. It's not, I could end up there. It is, I could become that. And this is what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 8 when we looked at that. And then the crux of the issue. Um, sooner or later, your world will fall apart. And what will matter then is the soul you have constructed. That's the reality. Some of us know that already in life. Others are yet to discover it. But sooner or later, our world will fall apart. And we talked a little bit about the difference between the, the self and the soul, which is something that we'll probably come back to uh, later in the series, because that's, that's really important. It's an important distinction. In fact, this is all important, which is why the Bible talks about this stuff so much and why we're spending this term looking at it. The heart of today's message, then, is going to be what your soul really needs is God. And, yeah, what your soul really needs is God, and that requires certain choices on our part. So let's dive into Psalm 42. Here it is, verses 1 and 2. You already heard me read it. Why don't we read these two verses out together, if they're, if they're readable from there? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So, quick summary of the book of Psalms, if you're not familiar with it. Um, it's a, a section of the Bible made up of um, about a hundred, well, not about, exactly, 150 uh, ancient Hebrew poems, stories, songs, prayers. And Again, an excellent way to get your head around it is to watch the video by the Bible Project on the book of Psalms, which you can find on YouTube. There you go. There's a little bonus uh, challenge for those doing the streaming. See if you can find the link for the Bible Project's video on Psalms and a little extra co content for those watching online. You can go catch it at home, the rest of you. And these Psalms are written by different people at different times. A lot of them are associated with King David, um, you know, one of the main characters of the Old Testament. But this one, Psalm 42, is attributed to the sons of Korah, um, which I can only assume is an ancient equivalent, Hebrew equivalent of BTS or One Direction, um, or dare I say it, Abba. Um, <laughs> actually, one of our young people admitted last Sunday evening at the youth group to really liking Abba. And she knows who she is if she's listening. I still don't care if they've come back into fashion. No, just no. Um, ooh, ooh, controversial. <laughs> really? Okay, all right. You can choose what music you like. It's okay. No, no, no judgment much. Um, no, okay. <laughs> just lost my half my youth group, haven't I? Oh, <laughs> never mind. Um, 
Right, back to this. Um, the Sons of Korah, they wrote it. May or may not have been like Abba. And the book of Psalms holds together two themes, really. There's, there's lament and there's praise. And the book was put together in the context of God's people suffering. Um, they were in exile. They'd been removed, taken away from the place of God's presence, which in, in the Old Testament is the, the temple in Jerusalem. That's the place where God dwells. But throughout Psalms, there's also this theme of God's future messianic king who's going to come and change everything and who will set up his glorious kingdom in a whole new world beyond the temple in Jerusalem to something much bigger. So there's sadness, but there's hope. There's lament and there's praise. And for us, the book of Psalms can teach us how to pray, how to be honest about the pain of our own lives with God, while at the same time looking ahead with hope for the promise of God's kingdom coming in all its fullness, his rule of reign, um, his rule and reign of justice and mercy and love, um, how we need that right now. So Psalm 42 is a psalm written in exile all about the soul needing God and longing for God's presence. And the illustration in the psalm is one of a deer desperate for water. Um, we were in Bushy Park yesterday, um, probably something that most of you are used to who live around here now. It's still new to us. But as we walked over to the playground, there was just this solitary deer walking towards the stream. It was a beautiful morning. Um, it was actually quite hot, and uh, it, it's quite easy to imagine that deer thirsting for the water. We were actually quite thirsty ourselves. And part of what's making the psalmist thirsty is the memory of being in the temple. Um, this is verse 4. Being in God's presence, presumably before the exile when they were carried away to this far-off land. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Just imagine a little bit how we felt last year when Christmas was cancelled, you know, when we were denied all the things that we took for granted each year, not least the festive thronging. His soul, verse 5, is downcast. No God, no joy, but still he's going to put his hope in God. That's what he's looking for. That's what his soul needs. John Ortberg compares the soul to the king on a chessboard. It's the most limited piece on the board, but if you lose your king, it's game over. Your soul is vulnerable because it is needy. If you meet those needs with the wrong things, it's game over, or at least game not going very well. The soul is needy, he says, perhaps infinitely so. A philosopher once said, uh, only by experiencing everything and everyone at every time can we possibly hope to be satisfied. But the truth is, most of us know that no amount of time, wisdom, beauty, riches, pleasures, likes, YouTube videos will ever satisfy us. 
Kent Dunnington suggests that the unlimited need of the soul can only be matched by God's infinite capacity to give. God's grace is the mirror of our soul's need. And the problem, of course, is that people look to everything but God to meet that need. And the word the Bible has for that is idolatry. What is idolatry? It is, says Orberg, the sin of the soul meeting its need with anything that distances it from God, which is something we all do every day. It might relate to money or power or uh, career or desire um, or secrets. It can show up in our values, our character, our behaviors, our attitudes, our addictions, uh, the choices we make about how we spend our time. It's anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God. Some of those things we recognize, some we don't, but we all have idols. Some we may have tried to turn away from, um, but as countless people have found through the ages, it's hard to turn away from idols. Remember, um, idols can just be, can be good things. They can be bad things, but they can be good things that have just come to take a wrong place in our priorities. The soul has to orbit around something. The soul was made for worship. The soul needs to worship. So the soul can't simply turn away from an idol. It has to turn towards something else. The soul needs God. But that all requires choice. Because of our fallen nature, we don't automatically gravitate to the things or the thing that our soul most needs, God, which brings us back to the keeper of the stream. So you're the keeper of your soul. And a big part of learning to keep your soul well, I think, is having the long-term view. So we have a, an eight-year-old Vauxhall Zafira diesel, which at times has been known in our family as the Gup Z. Um, sorry if that's a reference that you don't get. You may be happier for not knowing it. Um, but when we bought that car, aged three years, um, our idea was to spend the next 15 years running it into the ground. We never once considered that we might one day have to sell it. And the result of that is that we've never really taken that good care of it. Paint has got a little bit scratched up. Um, I like to think of it as go faster stripes. Um, mostly from three years on country roads around Chorleywood, where the only way to get past other cars at times was to get very up close and personal with the hedges. Um, but hey, no worries. We're never going to sell this car. <laughs> then there was the inside. And after 18 months of lockdown, especially the cold, wet January this year when we went out for daily walks and to playgrounds in weather that we would never normally go out for daily walks to playgrounds. The inside of the car was a mud bath. Add to that doubling the car's weight from the sand from several beaches that we visited over the summer um, and more than a few snacks along uh, a long journey and you get the picture. No matter, this car was for life. Also, we thought... Shortly after moving to London, we learned about the extension of the ULEZ. And after a quick lookup of the GUPZ's um, uh, environmental credentials, we discovered that it did not meet the criteria to explore, rescue, and protect, at least not in central London. So, in fact, it may not be a car for life after all. Now, 
The truth is we're okay because actually we so rarely drive into London in that direction. Uh, what with the boys loving the train so much as well, um, we're keeping the car. I don't think we'll need to trespass into that area more than a few times a year. But I wonder how long it'll be before the zone is extended again. So we suddenly found ourselves, perhaps I should say I found myself taking a little bit better of the interior, uh, care of the interior of the car and seeing if some of those scratches might polish out. Although, I've got to say, it's great driving around in a scratched-up car. You should see the extra space that drivers in really nice cars give us. <laughs> All this to say, the future of the car makes a difference to how we keep the car. And to revisit what we said last Sunday, the perceived future we have of our soul makes a difference to how we keep our soul. And as with so many other things, when it comes to the soul, we tend to reap what we sow. This is what um, Dallas Willard says about cultivating a healthy soul. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You know, the worst thing about preaching regularly is becoming painfully aware of your hypocrisy. I can't think of a week recently where I have spent less or experienced less of a deep contentment, joy, and confidence in my everyday life with God. I haven't had time to arrange my days so I experience deep contentment, joy, and confidence in God. And you know the, what the result of that is? I've got stuff done, I've got a lot of stuff done in fact, but in truth, who I've been as a person, as a husband, as a dad, has not really been very healthy. To misquote Horatio Spafford, whose story we heard last week, it has not been well with my soul. And I share this not to suggest that I'm overworked, I'm not, um, or that I need your sympathy, but because for me more than anything, this affirms that truth we heard at the beginning. I'll say it again. The most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. Because that's what you take into eternity. And it's what everyone else has to live with in the meantime. The soul needs God to be healthy. And the soul will only find God if you pri prioritize your soul meeting its needs in God. No amount of hard work, achievement, or fun this week will do that. And the, the proof is in who we are, day by day, week by week, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Your soul thirsts for the living God. Now, this isn't meant to be a rebuke, or a criticism of anyone. It's just an attempt at an honest appraisal of who we are and how we're doing. I wonder how your soul is this morning. I hope my honesty might help you to be honest with yourself. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to keep my soul any better than I already am. I don't know how to arrange my days so that I'm experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence with God. When first, welcome to the club. 
And second, please engage with this series. I think there's going to be some real life in it for you. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the specifics of what the soul needs and how we can learn to keep our souls. And you'll be hearing not just from me, but from a a great range of speakers, starting with Dan Bowering next week. So do come along um, or tune in for that. But to send us away with um, some sort of application, here are just a few things um, that you could do this week. First, acknowledge the need. We're not going to get very far with this if we don't start by recognizing this truth that our soul needs God. There's things that only God can do for us. Nothing else will do that. That's the starting point. Secondly, we need to recognize the idolatry. I spent a bit of time doing that this week, sitting down and just taking some time to consider the things. They may be bad things. They may be good things that you are attempting to satisfy your soul with. Again, honesty is key. You know, this time next year, I'd love to be saying that we, these are things that we can then go and discuss in community, perhaps with a midweek small group or, or some other opportunity within All Souls Church. Third, talk to your soul. You heard that right? Talk to your soul. This is the last takeaway from Psalm 42, but it's a key theme in the, in the Bible, um, in Psalms, and, and, and yeah, in, in, in the wider Bible. This is what John Ortberg says about it. Not that. He says this, In our day, we talk a lot about self-talk. Apparently, that's a really important part of the human condition. Everybody here talks to themselves. In the Bible, people talk to their souls. The difference between talking to yourself and talking to your soul is that the soul exists in the presence of God. So you will see in the Psalms and elsewhere people speaking to their souls. Because when you speak to the soul, it naturally turns to prayer. Because in the soul, God is always present. So verse 5 of Psalm 42 is just this excellent example of someone talking to their soul. It's a central theme. It's repeated. These, this verse is repeated again at the end uh, there in, in verse 11. It's repeated again in uh, Psalm 43. So why don't we read this out together to finish? In fact, why don't we just stand and we'll come into a time of prayer and response Let's say these words together. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Acknowledge your need, recognize the idolatry, talk to your soul. Let's, uh, let's pray. wonder if just for a moment as the as John and Raymond um, come back up again um, and get ready to lead us in worship let's just take a moment of, of quiet to 
do those three things. Just as you stand before God, maybe just in the quiet of your heart, just acknowledge your need for him. Acknowledge your thirst for him. And the Holy Spirit sheds light on who we are and reveals to us who we are. So why don't we have another moment of quiet and this time just invite the Lord to reveal to you any particular idols that could be getting in the way of your relationship with him. What are those things putting a distance between your soul and God? And finally, just take a moment in the quiet again to talk to your soul like the psalmist. What is it that you want to say to your soul today as you stand before God?